Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, today on Conversations About Dot, 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 I have the honor, the privilege, uh, and a little bit of artistic reverence to get the opportunity to interview uh, Fua Richardson. I got the honor of meeting her during Con. She was on a panel with Henri, um, and so he was talking about Yushu Shin, and it was funny because there was a point where he was talking about this powerful project, he was talking about this this project um, that he had written where he was talking about his granddad, how his granddad was dealing with stuff in his history and all that stuff. And meanwhile, Afua is just drawing this wonderful and really awesome, cool stuff. And so like in the middle of it, I'm literally like just stone-faced going, oh my gosh, it's beautiful. Everybody stopped in the interview for a second. I was like, I just talked about my granddad. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was looking at her drawing a picture. And I wasn't, no, no disrespect to the story. I was kind of listening to that. But I was paying a lot of attention on the art she was doing. And we were just like, yeah, I can totally see that. And so then we started talking about the art she was doing. And so uh, got a chance to pick her brain on stuff. And uh, Afua, and I've seen little bits and pieces of things. Uh, I saw a Netflix thing uh, on her. I saw some stuff on her from Sci-Fi Wire where she was going on talking about artwork and different things like that. Did a few things. So she is... But here's the thing that's funny. And the stuff I saw her in, I thought, okay, so this is all she's done. No, then there's uh, Lovecraft Country, then there's Black Panther, then there's our Kickstarter that she's doing. Like this woman, I I'm pretty sure, like she is the most beautiful version of Goro from Mortal Kombat. She's got like multiple arms. Multiple I would juggling. love that. I would get so much more work done with all the So much stuff. So first things first, Afua, could you please just say hello to the people? Hello, hello. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. My name is Afua Richardson. And for those of you who don't know, I am a comic book illustrator, a writer, a, um, gosh, I always have to think about it because... <laughs> There's so much. I do a lot of stuff. And not, not because I'm special, but because I'm stubborn. Okay. And I can't let myself quit. Okay. I probably should. Uh, I'm a musician, a songwriter, a voice actor. Um, I teach art. I mentor folks. And uh, that's that's why someone called me the Jane of all trades. And I decided to just put that on my card because I was tired of having like flute player cards <laughs> and singer cards. Because, like, you know, when you do all those things, you have to yeah. have a job, like a card and like represent yourself like, oh, oh, you need a graphic designer one second please yeah that's ah! yeah. and i, I was that. like okay this is expensive i just you're need carrying around a literal rolodex in your purse just yeah like i for i i still don't leave the house without a business card I, that was just that's just how it is i grew up in new york uh and in new york you run into any and everyone mm -hmm. i mean I was walking in the middle of the East Village and I saw Bjork on her way to karate class. Oh, well, it, it, yeah. There you <laughs> go. But wow. she had these like ginormous, like beach ball sized bunny slipper. <laughs> oh my gosh. That would be awesome to see. <laughs> it was great. I was like, oh my God, nice slippers. And she's like, thank you. <laughs> Love the idea of Bjork just wearing beach ball size of it. I mean, and I don't know, like I've seen her in videos and like that. She seems like a really tiny, physically tiny person. Mm 
Yes. Just imagine each ball size, what is slippers? It was great. And she had her karate gi on. And I was like, yep. <laughs> but, so now, in now, other words, you have to be ready for anything. Yeah. And, I, and here's the thing about that that's funny. Like you say that and I automatically see that in my head. Like what kind of comic book idea could you get out of a person? <laughs> it's really tiny. They are walking down the street with beach ball size bunny slippers. And somebody just doesn't take them seriously. Like, oh, look who's gone to karate class. You must be in the... And then she just, like, while she's singing some crazy song, this woman that came out there. I saw I could organize freedom. <laughs> you know, like, she's, she's a black belt, man. I wouldn't mess around with her. Oh, no, it's not a good idea. Yeah. Not a good idea. No. Honestly, a long time ago, just because I'm a big dude doesn't mean that somebody who's smaller than me can't outclass me. So I try to make sure to treat everybody with decency and respect because you respect just never him. know. It's true. I mean, if you, when you look at the UFC and that's, you know, martial arts, like body arts, you're looking at people who are like from flyweight to heavyweight. And each one of them has their own disciplines and their own like strengths and weaknesses. And man, don't discredit the little guys. Mm -mm. Well, it's kind of like, yeah, you speak of UFC, you know, I remember on Ronda Rousey, I think it was Holly Holmes oh, that put man. her out the first time. And I'm sitting there watching this and I'm going, Ronda, go to your ground game. Ronda, armbar. Why are we not armbarring? And come to find out that they were like, well, you know, with a boxer, we wanted to switch up her strategy a little bit. Ronda's been winning everything. What does she need to switch? <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, when you become predictable as a performer, uh, you try to surprise your opponent, but a lot of times, you know, if that's when you're getting hit in the face, a lot of your plans go out the window. Yeah, Mike Tyson said it best. <laughs> Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. It's true. <laughs> I want to check out his new podcast. Like uh, he's kind of like smoking weed and licking toads or whatever, and then breaking people down talking about like, so why are you the way you are? <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> and I don't know what's just weirder, like the fact that somebody's breaking me down like that, or it's Mike Tyson breaking me down like that. I love it. I absolutely but, love it. It it lets people know that, you know, as as someone who doesn't have to change, they can. He is reevaluating himself, which is yeah. something that you know we we try to do but sometimes we get caught in a cycle and he started noticing his own patterns mm -hmm. and maybe it was weed or maybe it was you know i hear that uh cbd helps to like re like to undo some of the damage that traumatic brain injury can cause by increasing circulation in areas that may previously have you know mm. swelling or like been cut off from circulation. anyway um but yeah, maybe it's giving him some time to reflect. Yeah. Well, and I mean, even watching him, I watched him, I watched uh, the, the replay of uh, oh, the fight, the fight with him and Roy Jones Jr. And I was like, first of all, I was like, oh my gosh, my aunt would have actually loved to watch this fight. My aunt got so burned on Mike Tyson because back when Mike Tyson was in his prime. And that oh, fight yeah. lasted, lasted, lasted more than a minute in most cases. He was like Rhonda at her prime. You know, yeah. it was like it's the knockout. Oh, he's well, a pit bull. My, my aunt, my aunt would go and buy these $60, 70 $80 pay-per-views. 
we'd all show up and we'd have chips and she'd make a big deal out of it. She was like, oh, Mike Tyson, man, I won't see him to his day. And the trap was always the same. Bring me this one fight. I gotta go run to the bathroom, y'all. I'll be right back. Are you sure you want to do that? Because the last <laughs> five fights, you've come back and they've already been replaying it. No, no, no. It's gonna be a longer fight. It's gonna be okay. Sure enough, she'd come back in. What? What happened? Tyson won in the knockout. The guy came out right as we spawned him one time. Who was down? And my aunt just went and she went outside. She was just like, I'm gonna hang on. I'm gonna go. And she went and grabbed like a bowl of chips or something. She just went outside and started throwing, just losing her mind. I spent $70 on a fight. I didn't even get the chance to watch. Well, it sounds like she needed to go to the gym and hit the bag. I was like, I think maybe you should have used the bathroom before. Like when the pre match stuff starts. Exactly. Train your body to start going to the bathroom then. When you hear fighting out of the red corner. Yeah. Wait in at, you know, get. Get to the restroom. Yeah, maybe. go ahead. Yeah, Michael yeah. Buffer's gonna take at least five minutes anyway. Because he's Michael Buffer. They're paying for that privilege, you know. So well, let's get ready to rumble. Now come on out. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the way, that was the thing. I mean, I remember watching him in his prime. It was just it was something beautiful and horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. About watching Mike Tyson in the ring in his prime. Ooh, he he took all of the things that he experienced and he channeled it in a particular direction. And I feel like I am nowhere near Mike Tyson, but I can understand taking the things from your environment and channeling it into an art. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's some, there's some, and the thing about it is you say that, and I'm sitting there going like, I've seen the artwork that I've seen from you. Mm-hmm. There is a very almost beautiful butterfly-esque type style to it. No, I mean, there. What do I mean? It sounds um, fancy. It sounds fancy. Well, what <laughs> I mean is, is that it? I'm sure they're hard edges, and and I want to get into your Kickstarter because I know there's some stories going into things, things like that. Mm-hmm. Even looking at stuff from like Lovecraft Country, like there is some horrendous stuff that happens during that series. So there's yes. some crazy yes. things. Yes. But when your artwork is, when I'm looking at your artwork from it and the stills and those moments. It's like, wow, all hell is breaking loose. <laughs> but these people, yeah, they're 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 anticipating it, but there's almost a piece in the midst of their anticipating this craziness that seems to be in a lot of the work that I'm seeing from you. So I just I, I draw that out. I don't know, you know, how intentional that is from you, but I love that about it. It has a hopefulness, it has a bounce, it has a very lifelike style to it thank you so when i see it i'm just like i wish i could do half as good (laughs) like i wish i could because it conveys a lot of emotion to me when i see it well thank you very much that that means a lot i um i really try my best you know i um as i said before i grew up in new york um during the 80s and uh, it wasn't so great to live in harlem uh then and uh, my dad fed me a steady diet of jazz and funk. Okay. And uh, so a little Miles Davis, a little uh, John Coltrane mixed with a little uh, JBs, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. He um, he uh, sort of exposed me to a lot of the singers, Sarah Vaughn's, the Nat King Coles, the Etta James, those 
those kinds of folks. And uh, then I started playing the flute at nine. Uh, and I also started collecting comics at nine. Okay. And, um, Interesting combination of things, flute practice <laughs> and then comic books at the same time. Like, I wanted to play the saxophone because it was the 80s. I was like, the saxophone's so cool. And I was such a tomboy. And he was like, uh, no. And I was like, he was like, well, you know, the flute has the same finger, like the, it, it's such a terrible word. It's the same, same keys, same fingering, so yeah. the same positions, but um, different embouchure. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, what a terrible word. No, but it has a different embouchure. So one's a reed instrument and the other one's a woodwind. And so um, I started playing it and I, it came pretty easy. Maybe it was because I was the only one in my class who could actually whistle well. Mm -hmm. um, but, um, yeah, music and uh, music and art were always synonymous for me because he would get me these books that had records and there was like a show on PBS. Uh, it was like the letter people. So they were always kind of together. So when I'd read my comics, you know, I'd get into Spawn was new then. Oh God, I'm dating myself. Hey, that's and, okay. Uh, <laughs> no, trust me. I was there for it too. I understand. You're okay. You're amongst, you know, you're amongst good people here. I even passed it by when it first came out. I was just like, Swamp Thing or Spawn? I was like, well, I don't know what Spawn is, but I like Swamp Thing. Excalibur, so I'm going to go for that. And then I eventually went back and got Spawn. But um, yeah. Um, Over 300 like, issues out now. I know, right? Man, Todd is, is killing it. And uh, yeah, while I was reading my comics, I would have, you know, voices and soundtracks in my head because that was what I was accustomed to. And mm -hmm. then I was also learning music and music theory and you know classical and reading and writing um you know tabulation for for music so i had a i had an appreciation for it for it um for soundtracks right and things like that and uh i think my mom threw out all my comics oh no yeah yeah it was bad and then uh then we got evicted and so everything got thrown out right. and she left and I was just kind of on my own for a little while and um, I had my sketchbook and my flute and whatever clothes were in my book bag and I started couch hopping so I thought to myself okay uh, whatever it is I do I better be good at it or I will really be a starving artist yeah and you were you were how old when this happened maybe 13 or 14 oh wow okay and um, I started, you know, couch hopping and just kind of staying on people's couches. I eventually moved in with my sister for a year and then I moved out and then my dad moved back from where he was. And um, I lived with him for a year and I just, I felt like I was very transitive. I felt like a, like one of the characters in a story, like the Incredible Hulk, like walking off into the sunset. <laughs> you have the music from the old TV show playing in the background every time you left. <laughs> Exactly. Just, she she walk out out of the kitchen. You just hear do 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 do. Where's yeah. the music coming from? And she's just, exactly. just like I hear it. I know. She's like I've got a little like Casio, little keyboard with the B batteries. <laughs> <laughs> with, the, with the handle, the old right, school right. Casio with the handle thing. Yeah, heck yeah. And uh, after that, um, you know, I was I was in high school and working and kind of staying with uh with different folks 
and uh, someone gave me a job as a secretary, uh, a gentleman named uh, Dr. McCants, who was kind of a mentor to a lot of people. He was the founder of the uh, New York Boys Choir, and there were women in the Boys Choir, but it was, you know, it was just called the Boys Choir, mm -hmm. and then the Housing Authority Choir. And uh, he, he was one of those guys who, even though he was a reverend, he wasn't one of the people who would like push religion down your throat. It was more like, hey, look, this is what I believe, but you don't have to believe this. I just want to see people reach their potential. And um, he would literally pull people by the ear off the street. And some of those people included Savion Glover and um, Mark Anthony and a bunch of other people who were doing really, really well once they like focused their talent in a particular direction. So yeah. he didn't put me in the choir, but he saw that I had a penchant for organization and uh, systems, like different, different kinds of systems. So uh, the job that I had as like a, just his secretary, there was Photoshop on the computer. And so during my lunch break, instead of going out, I would sit there and try to learn Photoshop because I did watercolors and I carried around a sketchbook, but I didn't consider myself like an artist. I'm like, people go right. to school for that, you know? Yeah. And uh, then I started going to comic conventions and that's when everything changed. I ran into uh, Travis Charest, Neil Adams, David Mack, Brian Stelfrey, Sanford Green, and Mike Goming, Ivan Brandon, Gail Simone, Aletha Martinez, Karan Grant, just all of these people who were very encouraging. Even Neil Adams, yes, even Neil Adams. <laughs> I know Neil Adams can be. I had a chance to talk to him. I haven't quite gotten him on the podcast yet. The biggest comic book get I feel like I've gotten, and I've had a real opportunity to speak to a lot of people was Terry Moore. Uh, I've been a reader of Strangers in Paradise for a while, even though I didn't have a whole bunch of it. I had friends who had it, and they'd be like, oh, here you are. You should check this out. You draw, right? You should check this out. And they're like, this is really like a story, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I, before I started writing stories, I was just like, this is some stuff here. This is some really good, you know, food, brain food for me. Absolutely. As as about characters and things like that. Um. But yeah, I mean, you're just listed off like a soup, like a hall of fame. You know, I'm just sitting there going, oh my gosh, I've met these people. Well, you know, I was very lucky, you know, that they were open and receptive and at the time not too busy. I, I, I tried my best not to bother them when they were busy right. because I came, you know, from music. By, that, by the time I was going to comic conventions, I had already joined um, an all-female hip-hop crew um, I was um, a background singer. I'd gone on tour. I got to open for Alicia Keys, Proud of Funkadelic, Sheila E. I was on Soul Train. I was on Jimmy Fallon. So I got to perform with a lot of really incredible musicians. Yeah. And even though, but, but it, it wasn't like, oh, look at me. I'm so great, you know, because I got to hang out with all these people. I can talk to these, you know, comic artists. It wasn't that at all. It was more like, all right, look, I have been around people who are in their craft so well that they don't have to think about it anymore. They've done so yeah. many repetitions that they are a master of their craft. And I'm lucky to just breathe the same air, right. <laughs> let alone have a chance to watch them and observe them. Yeah. 
and understand the potential of a person. So here we are at a comic convention and it's, it's so difficult just to get into a, a room with these people. Cause a lot of times, you know, when you are in opening for an artist, you, there's no rehearsal with them. <laughs> You right. know, like, unless you are their background singer, you are not opening for them. Like Raphael Sadiq, you're not, the only time you're going to see them is on the stage when they're about to go on, when off. they come right. off. Yeah. Right. And, and that's it. And so I, what I saw at comic conventions were the cow, like how I respected, you know, Outcast and Stevie Wonder and being able to see them and talk to them and have conversations with them, albeit briefly. I held that same reverence for comic book artists because I hadn't seen their faces before, but I knew their work. Right. And then putting a face to the artwork and then saying, oh my gosh, you know, now I, I have the opportunity that I didn't have with these artists where you usually have to have a manager make an appointment with their A&R after they've heard your demo, you know, this very long and tedious process. Right. Whereas here they are, they're right here. Yep. And nobody's at their table right now, <laughs> but, but I was very shy. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm going to have to get over this because this is a very rare opportunity. And right. I want to ask them a question, but not take up too much of their time. Right. Right. And so what I would do was I would, you know, carry a tiny little sketchbook with me because if ever I had an idea, I, I needed to jot it down but I also had a postcard with my best work on it and a way to contact me now granted you know with the internet things are completely different now you can just have Instagram followers and not necessarily have to do that but you still have to develop relationships with other artists because if you're going to work with someone if you're going to be recommended by someone they have to have rapport you know, and I didn't reach out to them just so they could get me a job. You know, they've got their own jobs and their own careers that they have to manage mm -hmm. and take care of. What I wanted to know was, do they like it? <laughs> do they like the business that they're in? Right. Is it, are there a lot of considerations business-wise? Because I just, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know how to get started. I didn't know who does the hiring. And you, what you realize is that artist can recommend you, you know, they, they can see your work. And if they see that you, you produce a lot of work and you produce a lot of work well, and someone asks them for something and they're not available, then they have a short list of people who they can call on. Like, you know what, I'm not available, but this person I've seen their work yeah. and I see that they're a good person and they're trustworthy. So I'm going to recommend them. And that, that, you know, that's, that's a vote of trust because that says, Hey, you know, um, I believe in this person and I also believe that they're going to deliver on time. You know, so I started getting these recommendations from people and it was, it was really, really great because I was always showing up. I was always showing new work and I was also supporting them. It wasn't just like, give me, give me something. Somebody put me on, you know, like I'm so great. It's just, people don't know it yet. No, 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 no. Like they don't have to choose me. They right. don't have to pick me at all. They have all of these amazing creators. Right, that they from. know personally. Exactly. You know, so building that rapport, building friendships, building bonds, building trust, you know, and yes, you're, you're going to make mistakes and you're going to overcommit and you're going to learn how much time you actually need to do things. And um, you also have to know that there are going to be other opportunities. 
uh, and when to turn them down. You know, and so it was a lot to learn on my own, but I had really, really great guides. And I'm, I was really fortunate that I, I got in when I did, because there, of course, there are a million people who want to draw Black Panther. There are a billion people who want to draw Black Panther, mm -hmm. but I had the opportunity to do so. And uh, I think it was 2005 or 2006, I went on my first vacation ever to San Diego Comic-Con. <laughs> All right. Okay. I think that kind of vacation. Exactly. I was like, I'm going to San Diego yet. That's like a that's like a bucket list thing. It's like you know, I don't say, I don't tell people like, oh, I pray for the day and I can go to San Diego. It's more like, Lord, if there's a chance at all that I can go, yeah. and there's a way to put the money together to do it. It's a very expensive trip. Uh, it was the most I would love to be able to pull it just spent. once in my life. I don't need to do it more than once. I just, I just need one time, and just to be there. And yeah. just not to die from it all. Yes, because... exactly. Definitely stay hydrated. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I wish they had like GPS inside the convention because they kept getting lost. I was like, where does the everything looks the same? Can't... Hall H was oh. over here yesterday. Where's Hall H today? <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh, there were just there were just so many people, and and it was weird saying that being from New York, where there you know so many people, millions. Of Billions of people like I felt claustrophobic. I was like, oh my God, this is a lot. It was a lot. It was very overwhelming, but I was just like, just pretend you're in Chinatown, pretend you're in the Matrix, and you're just kind of going with the flow. <laughs> pretend you're in the Matrix. That's the greatest. Like you're in that simulation and you're Morpheus and you're just kind of like letting people just flow around your shoulders. Like it's okay. It's all right. That person didn't use deodorant today. You're going to be okay. Just yep. like just spurt yourself. It's, keep it's, it's like, okay, it's not me. Okay, it's all I need. <laughs> it's like, it is me. Okay, I got to go and take it. Or, yeah, or that. <laughs> I might need to go back to the hotel room now. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I was ready. I had the little like, the little deodorant wipes. I was like, nope, I'm not gonna nope. funky. Not today. <laughs> not today. <laughs> Get behind me, funky. Yep. That's it. Um, so I walk up to Mark Silvestri, who is a tower of a man, and wears his sunglasses inside. And um, I said to him, wow, oh my gosh, you are here and your work is amazing. And when I started getting back into comics, it was your work that brought me there. Uh, wow, can I buy something? Will you sign it? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> thanks. I was like, oh, he speaks. This is cool. cool. And um, I handed him a postcard. It was like, Hi, I know you see the best artists in the world, but if you happen to need, I don't know, colorist or somebody, and I handed him my, my postcard and he looked at one of the pieces and he was like, I recognize this. You did this? And I was like, oh, be cool. He knows my stuff. Be cool. <laughs> like, yes, yes, that's me. He's like, what part did you do? I was like, pencils, inks, colors, design, all of it. The whole thing. Like, really? <laughs> And then he turns around and hands it to uh, Matt Hawkins and then some of the other guys. He was like, she did this. I was like, ah. ah, ah, ah. Archie Fesky recognizes my work. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah. And so six months later, I get asked to do my first cover to cover book. 
genius. And uh, it took me a while to do it. Uh, I ended up getting sick and I ended up in the hospital, but they actually stuck with me. Instead of getting another artist, they waited. Yeah. And um, then after that came out uh, through Image, uh, all these crazy offers started coming in. Uh, X-Men 92, Captain Marvel, Totally Awesome Hulk, uh, Black Panther <laughs> after that, and uh, primarily cover work. You know, I, I needed to refine my process for sequentials, and mm -hmm. I got asked to be a part of John Lewis's project run uh, before he passed away, so unfortunately it won't be coming out. Um, but the book is finished. If they decide to put it out, you know, that's, that's up to them. But, mm -hmm. um, then I, I thought after that project happened and I did like, like 200 something pages, I was like, you know what? I think it's time for me to tell my story. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'm like, yeah, I'm going to work on my book. And then I get an email on Instagram, like, Hey, would you like to work on a movie? And I was like, Ooh, table that. So um June of last year, I was asked to be the illustrator for Diana Freeman and Hippolyta Freeman, uh, who are um played by Anjanu Ellis and Jada Harris for HBO's Lovecraft Country. And all the artwork that was under Dee's hands. So the Panther Man comics in, in issue one, down to her little sketches, uh, the Atlas drawings, uh, which were the drawings on, you know, Uncle George's map, mm -hmm. um, the comics, the hand-drawn comics, and then the Hippolyta travel comic at the very end. Uh, was also was also mine a including her charcoal drawings her mm -hmm. when Topsy and Bopsy were chasing after her and, and oh wow she couldn't explain what was going on she, because Lancaster had put a spell on her and made it impossible for her to talk about it um so he has a way of making people talk and making people shut up so uh, so the only way she was able to express what happened and the spell that was used was drawing it Mm -hmm. uh, because she knew something was was going to happen to her and she might not make it yeah um, kind of feels a little bit like heroes if you remember the show heroes yeah, where yeah, there was the guy was who was who was drawing of course the tim sale art he was doing <laughs> right. all this different stuff and i'm just sitting there going that's tim sale art i draw that art <laughs> <You know? laughs> totally but yeah. yeah that sounds really awesome and of course there was a moment in the show where uh somebody comes out and they're like Where'd you learn how to do it? Oh, I learned from my name. A fluid taught me how to do that. I was just like, that's her reference. What? <laughs> what? I know who that is. It was a very, very cool moment. I I laughed. I, I jumped up and down. I ugly cried. You know, I, I shared it with my dad. It was a very exciting moment. Actually, um, Misha Green, the executive uh, producer, and J.P. Jones, who's the prop master, and a prop master is someone who makes everything that the actors touch that is not wardrobe. Mm -hmm. So he was responsible for making the weapons, the ori, that little gold thing that spun around in a circle, mm -hmm. um, armor, books. He handmade the books that Dee was drawing on, and oh, I wow. worked with him directly. And so at one point, when um, Topsy and Bopsy are kind of doing their their screen test. He comes in 
And he explains to me, he's just like, something cool has happened. And I was like, oh my gosh, what? What's going on? He's like, you're going to be an off-screen character. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? what? Like, I, like he explained it to me. And the, the comic at the end was actually supposed to be a full comic, but we got the, the dates mixed up. So I wasn't mm -hmm. able to, to do it in time. I actually finished that cover in maybe like two hours oh, and, wow. and had to change it to a robot arm. But I had already been awake for like 36 hours. And I was like, <sighs> but I was just like, you know, if you want the job, you got to yeah. stay. You got to do it. Right. <laughs> they can't like refilm a set because... They can't like refly in actors to right. Atlanta because they don't have a comic book. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I was like, I got to get it done. Got to do it. That's right. <laughs> okay. Coffee. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was supposed to be in the comic. Um, and the comic was supposed to be a catalog of all of her adventures. So all the things that we didn't see and some of the things that we saw, like the war and uh, her being in the chamber and being trapped, she she did a like um, a life review, <laughs> like okay. cr like chronicling her adventures in that comic. And one of the scenes was supposed to be she's in an elevator, the doors open, and there's me handing her a wake-up pen in front of my desk. Like, are you ready? That's awesome. And um, but yeah, and you know maybe if there's a season two and there's who knows with COVID and everything uh, everything is just so up in the air right now mm -hmm. but uh, maybe they will still do that that would be neat um, or just you know have you released a book that's you know? true I did I did some layouts for it so uh, the kickstarter that I'm working on one of the perks is all of the drawings and all the sketches from Lovecraft Country because they're only on screen for just a few seconds uh, I'm going to put in my new art zine every couple of years I'll do an art magazine it's like a it's like an art book but just a little more affordable and floppy uh but more like fashion magazine than like thin paper circular whatever okay but i um i'm gonna have all the drawings from lovecraft country black panther just all the things that i've worked on in the past five years and have that as a perk and an add-on for uh, the Kickstarter for my first creator own in all 15 years of making comics uh, mm -hmm. called Aquarius, the Book of Myrrh. And so uh, the Kickstarter is on now and uh, it was funded, I am proud to say, in under 72 hours. I say probably in record time, I saw. <laughs> I actually, oh man, it was funny because I wanted to launch on Black Friday, but it was taking like three and four hours for my video to upload. So I was hoping to get it out there in the morning, but didn't end up launching until like 7 p.m. that night. But by the next morning, we were already 50% funded. And I was like, they really don't like it. Yeah, yeah. There's always this worry that there isn't that the appreciation for my work has nothing to do with the quality of my work. It's just the projects that I've worked on are really cool. Like I think Black Panther's cool. Like I personally think it's cool. And so I like that I'm in a position where I can work on the things that I like. Yeah. But then I think, okay, so do they like my work? Or do they just like Black Panther? So this was definitely like 
No, Fua, they like you. They yeah. like your stuff and they want you to make the things. So it's, it's very exciting. I'm, um, I'm going to be doing kind of a Euro style comic. Like, um, what's that book that came out under Boom? Highest House. I don't know if you read that one. It's actually pretty I had a chance to read that one. Heard about it, but I didn't. It's pretty cool. It feels like, it feels like an anime, but like a, more like a French animation. It's really cool. I really like the format. It's, it's a wider format, like a eight and a half by 11. So I'm giving myself a little bit more room. And actually one of my favorite books is Black Sad um through through dark horse and i love the format i love the look and the size and i was like i want to do big comic why do i have to be all the small sizes why do i want and yeah. so <laughs> image uh, was cool <laughs> image was cool as that i was like really i can i can just do this oh yeah so i'm going to it's going to be an ongoing series um about uh different mermaid myths and legends of modern retelling from all over the world mm. and sort of their common thread okay. or stream. And um, it's going to go way, way, way in the future and way, way, way in the past, which is why it was so exciting to work on something like Lovecraft Country, which kind of did that and, and, and did it. It jumped around a lot. Yeah. It jumped around quite a bit, you know, even just hopping back to, you know, um, just 20 years before and then however many years in the future and uh even when they were in that underground tunnel on that woman who reanimated from you know the spanish inquisition of yeah. south america it was it was like ooh, this this can work ha <laughs> ha this is not too much oh hello cat i have a cat yeah i saw the cat i saw the tail earlier <laughs> and I was just sitting there going like, there's a cat back there somewhere. It looks yeah, like a cat tail. Because dog tails just... don't quite curl up like that. So that's what it is. <laughs> she, poor thing, she got run over by a car and she had her hip broken when she oh, was no. a kid. But she survived. She's a survivor. But she has a little broken tail now. So it kind of like. <laughs> it kind of divots. Yeah, she can move it around. But when she relaxes, it just like. <laughs> So now she's parked on my lap. Well, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's 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 no matter what kind of animals and stuff we have, you know, it's it's really awesome to to see them see them survive. And there are so many stories. I mean, there's so many stories about animals that we're close to and things like that. So yeah, animals can be they bring a sense of calm in a sometimes crazy world. Oh, definitely. She's a she's a great companion, and um, I have her siblings. They're they're all litter mates. They were born in our closet. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't. That's what happens when you don't get your pets fixed fast enough. They give you presents. Yeah. Form of it's like, you know, Bob Barker can't just show up to your house every day, every morning, like he did on uh, Price is Right and be like, have your pets stay neutered, kids. You know. <laughs> but I'm glad, actually, that. Um, I didn't in this case because I have three awesome cats. There you Very go. Sweet. Nothing wrong with that at all. Oh, and now you mentioned something earlier. You mentioned Mars Suresi's artwork brought you back into comics. What books were you coming back into? And I know he did a big run on X-Men before Jim Lee took it over mm-hmm. and started doing all sorts of awesome stuff. I was um, 
I was reading Fathom and Witchblade and Darkness and that whole Top Cow line. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I was also reading, it's not his, but uh, Hiroaki Sumura's Blade of the Immortal. I remember Blade of the Immortal. That was out of uh, Dreamweave, I believe. I think that was the company. It was the image thing, but I think it was Dark, like another imprint. Dark Horse, oh, Dark Horse okay. uh, was putting that out here. Uh, I don't know where it was like what it was originally distributed through, but I, I loved it. Love, love, loved it. And um, what else was I getting into? Um, Matawera stuff. Um, Yo, Battle man. Chasers? Battle yeah. Chasers, yeah. I have the full trade of Battle Chasers because I'm just like, I remember him from the X-Men run he did. One of my favorite covers he did was one where it was Arrow and Spider-Man. Yeah, like Marrow just version of Marrow. Marrow just, just looked like she was ready to just whoop everybody. Right, she had, and she had that red attitude. hair. Yeah, it was it was awesome. I remembered that. And, and then they ended up doing X Men Evolution, and they created Storm's nephew, who basically had her powers. And I'm kind of like, I love Evan as a character. Could we just have Arrow? <laughs> like, right, right. Like, why do we have a guy who? Who we don't know, who's never been in there, was just created for the series, and we give him our power set. Like, right? Like, I I like that Mara was kind of her own person. She was, she had like Wolverine-ish tendencies, but that's what happens when you have someone who has like things that protrude from their body and yeah. anger. Yeah, but, you're not you know, you're not exactly in a world where you can fit in. And wasn't she raised with the Morlocks for a while? Yeah, yeah. She was right. underground, literally. She was exactly. underground. <laughs> so she kind of had a different upbringing. And I like that she was just a different character. She was just, she was just weird. She was one of my favorites for a long yeah. time. Yeah, and I mean, I, like, like, I do like the weirdos. And it was weird because, like, she'd be in fights and, like, somebody would say something to her. She'd just pull out, like, a big old shard of bone from, like, the middle of nowhere and threaten to cut him. Like, <laughs> like she was in prison. Like, it's she was like, give it. I'm, I'm with you. I'm on your team. Stop it. Easy, easy. Roll your roll. We're not trying to shank each other for <laughs> leftovers. Yeah, no, I, I, I loved, loved his version of Marrow. And um, yeah, like that, that was what I was reading then. And what else was I reading? I got into Alex Ross's Kingdom Come. Oh. And, and then uh, David Mack's Kabuki. I was like, Metropolitan. Yeah. yeah, there is a series he did. I believe it's called Mask. Mask? Where it was, it was more like, it was called, it was a Kabuki, but it was a series called uh-huh. Mask. Oh, yeah, like yeah. Or something like that. Like yeah, yeah, Mask. yeah. I know what you like mean. Teenage age, teenage versions of them as young agents training. Yes. Well, who is the artist working on that? I have it on my shelf downstairs. It's going to kill me. Um, it was That's a different what, artist because David Mack was doing the covers. Covers. He was. Uh, there was another. Oh, look, I gotta go to the internet now. Okay, I say yeah. I'm going to the Google machines. Yep. My ex- my extensive memory. Um, Kabuki mask of like, oh. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm trying to do too. I'm just trying to piece it together. Mask of. Um, I'm sure I'm not spelling this no. right. No, I think it was. Okay, so it was out in 94. Um, 
Okay, maybe I should try David Mac and do it that way. Yeah, yeah, because you're getting like the actual mask, right? Right. <laughs> He's like, I, I know what you're doing because I'm doing the same thing. Okay. Um, okay, so I think I've got an image of it. Now I'm just trying to figure out. Okay, I think I got it. Okay, mask of Noah. So it's just N O A. Oh, okay. Oh, no uh, it shows David Mack as the illustrator for it. But there's somebody else who is working on it too. Rick Mays. Okay. That's who it was. He worked on Scarab and a bunch of other stuff. So Rick Mays was doing interiors on it, and it kind of had this like American anime style. It did very much so. Freaking amazing! I yeah. loved it. Just the combination of this super dreamy, you know, crazy, trippy artwork, and then his very, very succinct, you know, almost chibi, because the gals were kind of short. Yeah. Um, well, the action scene is really cool too. I really, really oh, enjoyed yeah. the action of it. Like there was a scene I think they're in a restaurant, and like these mm -hmm. people come busting in the restaurant, and like they turn their mask on. And they just start ripping into them. Like, it's like uh, four or five of them, and it's just like a hundred yards. It seems like they're just going through everybody. Yeah, it was, and I, I remember that one too. It was, oh man, I still have it. <laughs> I think so the first time I really have... was exposed to his artwork was mm -hmm. uh, in the Daredevil run, but it introduced oh, yeah. Echo. Yeah, he killed it on that he did such a great job so to and have david mack do a variant for my book yes. is kind of mind-blowing because when i was you know clutching my sketchbook really afraid to even show other people my artwork who i didn't know you know he took a look at my book and he was like afua you're actually really good um you you do really great work with watercolor and i just please keep going and i was like really yeah you know, and after a while, you can only have so much doubt when people who are professionals are saying, listen, you know, I see something and even though you don't see it, it doesn't really matter <laughs> that, yeah. that you don't because people are receiving it in a certain way and they want to hire you and pay you money. So whatever it is that you think, whatever ideal you want to get to, that's great. Keep shooting for that. But as you are now, you have a skill that you can be paid to cultivate. You know, so you doubting doesn't really do anything but stop you from getting this job. Right, right. It kind of, <laughs> when you said that, it kind of reminded me of that scene. I'm going to modify it a bit. It kind of reminds me of that scene where uh, where, where um, Kylo Ren is talking to Ray and he's talking about the past. He's like, well, mm -hmm. you know, take the past, kill it if you have to, you know, whatever. And it's just like doubt kind of the same way. It's like, get rid of the doubt, kill it if you have to, because it doesn't help you at all. No, no. I mean, it's great to question and, and reevaluate and say, okay, well, this can improve, but if it's paralyzing, then what good is it? Yeah. You know, it's kind of like judging a cake from the batter. You've got to bake it, let it be done, and then judge the consistency then. And, you know, you can taste the batter and be like, okay, I can start to see where I'm making a mistake. That is salt and not sugar. <laughs> so right, right. Yeah. There are times when you, ha you do have to start again, but Sometimes you just learn through the repetition and finishing something to its completion and then judging it and saying, okay, 
um, you know, you can go along the way and refine your process. Like uh, if you've ever had the opportunity to listen or watch Brian Stelfreeze teach people, he is absolutely amazing. And he, you know, pre-COVID, he had a figure drawing class here in Georgia. And it was more like, you know, he would hire models and he would study and draw because Brian is always restoring his memory banks. He is filling his mind with information, the shapes of shadows, the shapes of light, and how they interact on different surfaces. So when he watches other people draw, he's drawn so much that he can look at someone's drawing and not see them do it and know how they got to this conclusion. So he looked at someone's work who was new to the class and he said, and I was, you know, drawing there also. And uh, he looked at their work and he said, you're trying too hard right now to work on details. You're trying to get all the details to make it realistic. You're working, you're focusing on line instead of treating the shadows and these different areas of light and high points and low points like mass. Look at the shape of the light and the shape of the shadow. When a Fua draws, I was like, how did he know (laughs) he's like when a fluid draws what she's doing is she's using the side of the pencil and she's marking out the areas where things are and then once she has a rough idea she'll use the the tip of her pencil and then decide on an area and sort of outline the area in a line there there are no lines and um shadows per se there's there's just light and dark and the shape of that light and dark and you choose to represent it with a line and so the difference between a pro and a an amateur is we all make mistakes but professionals can catch their mistakes before they're finite and i was like (laughs) (laughs) this is why he is the yoda of comics he just has just such a great understanding of things and listening and, and watching him learn and teach is, is absolutely phenomenal. And so I, I, I'm very fortunate to have been around so many people who were giving teachers because not everybody wants to share their technique. Right. You know, and I don't mind sharing because people were so generous with me. And at the same time, you know, if someone learns how to do what it is that I do, great, we could form Voltron and then like, do stuff. I want my friends to be wealthy. But um, some people are intimidated by you knowing their techniques. And so I just feel like what it is that you have to say, what it is that you are inspired by, and how you create work, honestly, it's, it's unique unto you. And there might be, you know, style similarities, or even you know, writing styles or whatever that are similar, but you, you know, each person is unique. Like there's, there's no other David Mack. There's no other Adam Hughes, you know, sure. Terry Dotson and Rachel Dobson, their work is similar, but they have their own niche. They, you yeah. know, and they come from the same, you know, kind of school of drawing, so to speak, the same Alphonse Mucha-esque techniques what they do is completely different and they occupy the same space and they both Mm -hmm. have jobs, (laughs) you know? So these are people who are at the top of their game who, you know, one could say have very similar styles, but they're not in competition because they do different things. Right, right. Well, I mean, you mentioned Sanford Green earlier. I just picked up the first volume of Bitter Root. And I'm looking at this work and I'm just, like sometimes I pick up trades. I don't pick up trades to read them. I pick up trades to go, 
how did they get here artistically? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's so many books that I have that I haven't read yet. I'm like, oh man, like I would love to read Magic Order, but every time I open the book, I'm so enamored by Olivia Quipple's work. Yeah. <laughs> that I kind of forget to read it. I'm just like, oh, look at these lines. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm like, yes. oh all right, there's a story. <laughs> yeah, there, there are words here. I gotta read them at some point. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm so sorry, Mark Millar. Yeah, it's I'm like, sure I, very good yeah, story. yeah, exactly. It's like, wait, because I remember like reading Mark Bagley, reading Spider-Man back in the day when Mark Bagley was on his stuff and just his tightness of the anatomy. But then too, it was the fact that you had different shapes. He really understood shape language. Yeah, and that's he's something constantly kind of studying from life. Just recently learned about, like I took a skill trainer course. I was just like, what skill language? Like, wait. Oh, so that's why when I look at, say, for example, Maleficent, for example, why mm -hmm. do I think she's evil? Well, because she has triangles in her shapes. Yes. So it's a psychological thing that automatically says, oh, because it, it was like, it took me on this journey. I was like, let me go back and watch some of these old Disney movies. And let me look at the villains. Let me look the silhouettes, the shapes. Yeah. The relationships between the shapes. You know, the color green. Yes. Even it's the color green is something some of those that because you think about like most of the villains, there is a green and usually a red or black. Purple. In their color scheme at some point. I mean, oh, Ursula. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, just, just, yeah. And I never really mm -hmm. thought of it. Of course, Ursula kind of broke that because she was more of a round shape. But this is her true. intent but her hair, was, yeah. her eyes, you know, her smile. Yeah, definitely came to a point like she had these even though she was you know voluptuous she had these kind of sharp uh aspects to her hair yeah. it was kind of like there were definitely so. points mm -hmm. so i really thought about that i really I, I i'm trying to grow as an artist as well i think uh when you mentioned how people believe in you and stuff like that it was funny because we did cadets con and like one of the last videos that we did that day was like zen zon's and of course, I'm looking at his work and going, oh my gosh, this looks like a one-man Korean comic book festival. Like, <laughs> he's just doing all this stuff with symbolic verses. And he stopped at one point, and I was talking to him, and I asked him a question. He said, he said I just want to tell you, he said, I saw your I saw your deal Saturday morning. I got up, and I was watching the first part of it, I saw your deal. He said, I just want to tell you. Uh, you've got some awesome stuff going on in the work that you're doing. You need to keep moving in the direction you're moving because you're going to create some awesome stuff for the people you're trying to create for. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is all internal, like external. I'm going, thank you of so course. much for saying that. But like, it's right. like, oh my gosh. I just, I'm looking at his artwork going, can I buy it all? Like, where is all okay. the stuff with his stuff on it? Just like with yours. I and mean, I'm slowly getting your stuff too. Right? It's it's like, like, I just I just want this eraser too. Can I just have it? I'm just going to take your table. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. I was just like, dude, like, thank you so much. And then I got to talk to him on the show later and he said the same thing. He's just like, you know, you're you're making some strides and he gave yeah. me some tips and pointers. He's just like, you know, and, and I'm sitting there going like it really goes a long way ow. because you it makes it, may, it lets you know what's possible from people whose opinions you trust. Like they don't really have time to placate people. And yeah. so, some things can only get better through time. Yeah. There's no like, oh, well, if I just do this one technique, 
and master this, then I'm better. No, it's, it's the whole understanding of shape, value, perspective, and even just how to represent life and how to communicate through your work, emotion. And, and it's an ever expanding, ever evolving process. And there's still so many things that I want to learn. So still so many things that I want to like improve on with my work. There are weaknesses that I have. And so every day I'm like, oh, oh, I'm so bad at this, but you know, it gets better. Yeah. You have to kind of rewrite your brain to stop practicing mistakes. Right. And I've like, been saying this a lot lately, but you know, practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice, practice makes, makes better. Unless you're practicing the wrong thing. Exactly. Because you, you know, could just be learning a mistake. Yeah. So you don't want to be the guy, you know, like I fixed today at, uh, I have what I call my Kentucky family. So that's what I'm saying currently. It's in Kentucky and my Kentucky family, I was just like, today I went to do laundry and I was just like, I want to fix something different. So I wanted to fix like egg rolls, but I wanted to do it with like turkey and dressing. And then have like a cranberry dip on it. You know, kind of a holiday yeah. egg roll. Yeah. And so I'm sitting there and I learned like, okay, obviously I'm putting two of these egg rolls together. I didn't realize I needed to separate them more, but you learn. And it's just yeah. like, okay, so next time we make sure we keep the stuff separated better and use the stuff sooner, you know, yeah. those are things. So that way you don't end up getting the two rolls together because if you're not careful, one won't cook that well, you know? This is true. And so these are things you learn. But, you know, when you talk about that, you it really brings an interesting point too, because you've got to Okay, so why am I buying? Because like people always say, well, why are you buying books on how to learn how to draw? You're already drawing. I was like, yeah, but if I want to get better at it, yeah. I got to learn from people who are already doing what I want to do. Exactly. You know, even if you drew exactly like your favorite artist, you wouldn't be happy because what you have envisioned is what you have envisioned. You have a particular objective in mind and what they have in mind is something totally different. And so your your vision is always going to be ahead of your hands so there's mm -hmm. always going to be something to evolve towards and man it's identifying what those things are that is the tough part and sometimes yeah. you need an outside perspective but then you also have to keep in mind that the artist who you may be asking to look over your work they have their own objective so they're only going to tell you perhaps how to be more like them, mm -hmm. <laughs> not intentionally, <laughs> but yeah. because they have their own preferences. But you know, finding someone who's very objective and, and understanding which direction that you are going in, you mm -hmm. know, via your influences and the people whose work you admire, whose techniques you want to adopt into your work. Mm -hmm. um, finding those groups of people who can honestly tell you, say, okay, uh, flip this take a look at this, you know, if you reshape this, I think this might be closer to what it is that I think you're trying to convey. And that's all I can really do when it comes to critique. I can just say, okay, I think I know where you're going. Tweaks here, tweaks here. And I think the, it, it will read a little better. Gotcha. You know, it'll communicate to, to your audience this way, instead of, a, a discrepancy making someone focus on it instead of what it is you're trying to say. 
because it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be perfect. Right. It's, it just has to make sense. So arms bend a certain way, proportions, they can be exaggerated, but if they bend the wrong way, it's going to be noticeable unless right. it's intentional and you're drawing some kind of spider person. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> It has you like could be the case, but even Todd, then, like, Todd McFarlane, case in point. You look at the way Peter Parker moved in there. You're going, okay, there are gymnasts that could move that well. Yes, I, I, it makes me wonder if like Todd McFarlane was just watching those contortionist street performers on the subway and being like, mm-hmm. mm. <laughs> here's the sketchbook. Totally. I mean, you know, you get you get inspiration from. From your surroundings so yeah you know. but it's memorable because it was just it was just like how did he even how did he even do this like, like right? how does that even yeah. work i mean but if you watch you know those russian ballet dancers or folks at cirque du soleil you're just like yep that's mm-hmm. i can see it you can move like that yeah not many people can but it's possible it, it is possible so but it's real- also showing motion and emotion too so yeah and, and it's really interesting too. You think about just the beauty of that. I mean, you talk, and there's so much when you compare art artists. It's really interesting how, like, say, like Sophie Campbell. You look at Sophie Campbell stuff from Ninja Turtles, and you look at yeah. the face that she's done, like Wet Moon. I mean, going back and looking at her kind of iconography, and then you look at other people who have done art that you enjoy. Like, I, I love Ed McGinnis. Yeah, uh, his stuff is just so like his muscles have muscles when he draws. <laughs> Superman bends his arm and all of a sudden it's just like 47 it's just right like he, like that man could whoop Arnold Schwarzenegger with the arms like that I'm just saying <laughs> he's like I'm Arnold and all of a sudden it's just like I'm Batman it's just like, <laughs> I'm a Tuma <laughs> <laughs> why is Batman here you play Mr. Freeze and you ruined it that's why I'm here Get to the chopper. That's my chopper. <laughs> Like Jim Lee's artwork. I love Jim Lee's oh, artwork. I, I got the, uh, I found on eBay one time. It was like the, the black and white. Uh, I, I'm looking back over it. The Batman Noir books. That was the black and white version of Hush. It's just a big thick oh, trade of just the inks, pencils and inks. So I'm just like going. I've already read this story a thousand times, but it's totally different looking at it this way. Yeah, yeah, you focus on something different. Because I'm not the best colorist in the world. That's Mm -hmm. my thing. Like, I feel like I'm starting to realize that like I understand, I'm learning more about color theory, but it's like when I'm applying color, I always want to kind of get that cell shaded style, but I don't know how to do it in a way it works because what I'm trying to do it, of course, I'm having to learn, you know, with like Mac and stuff like that. I'm having to learn. I have a, I just recently bought a tablet. So I'm trying to learn how to, okay, like, that fine shadow point. Like, I don't want, yeah, I'm not a fan of the painted style as far as what I do. Like, I want okay. my stuff to kind of sure. remind people of like an anime style thing when you see it. Okay. And so, so I'm trying to figure what out how programs to do are you using to draw. I had Photoshop for the longest time, and mm-hmm. then like I had Photoshop Elements, I think, and now they switched to the switch to the uh, subscription model. Yeah, I'm not really a fan of subscription models. So then I got uh, uh, Clip Studio Paint. Okay, I got that on sale last year, I think. Yeah. 
I got on sale, so I got that. So I'm trying to learn a program that's a little bit different than Photoshop. I'm trying to learn, like, what can I do with it? I hear that Clip Studio has a lot of really great user-friendly aspects, and there are a lot of people who I know personally who've switched out of Photoshop into Clip because it has a lot of the functionality, uh, but it's specific to illustrators. Um, And if I can recommend something for starts, uh, with Clip Studio, if you're just kind of learning to color, one thing that you can do is um, if you feel like you can see black and white more than you can color, start coloring in values first. So think of it like a paint by number. If zero is white and a hundred is black, right? So first you establish where your gray tones are. You don't want things to necessarily be too close together because they won't have any contrast. Mm -hmm. So figure out whatever gray you want to use for your flat skin tones, right? So whatever skin is exposed, that's the color that you're going, that's the gray that you're going to use from zero to a hundred. That's the gray that you're going to use. So say, you know, you want a lighter tone, 30, you want something darker, go 60, 70. That's kind of really dark because you're almost getting into the black territory. So say you have a medium tone person and then you you put down all of your flats and you put that on one layer just one layer and you mark it label that skin next is the clothes and you can change it later it doesn't have to be you know permanent but right just so you've separated those things into different parts and then you can apply a single color on top of that layer and clip it so when you clip a layer to the bottom layer, layer underneath it, it's almost like saran wrap. So you've got, you know, this is your flats layer and here's your your color layer. You Uh can saran wrap it so it'll clip to it and it'll match to whatever you have underneath. Gotcha. Right? So um, coloring in values is like, coloring with volume right like like the sound volume yeah so um taking uh taking dye almost and you put one drop in so you get like a light red you put two drops in you get a medium red you put three drops in you get like (laughs) the darkest red right so that's kind of how you'll be coloring so when you apply the color on top to that area and you change the opacity from normal to color, what it does is it converts the color to whatever the value is underneath. So say you have uh, 100% and you have red, just Uh like a CMYK, red, 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 red. It's just, it's all freaking red. Um, Whatever gray you have, underneath it will register as that so say you have 50% gray 100% red it will convert it to 50% red a medium red gotcha but if you take that same red and put it over 10 which is closer to white it will be pink okay so it's like 
more red, less red. So you're painting by numbers. So lay down your grays first. So you can see, okay, well, I want this to be darker than this. I want this to be darker than that. I want this to be the middle tone. Uh -huh. And then, then once you lay down your colors, you can figure out your shadows. That, that hard edge coloring really comes from understanding where your light source is coming from and then the objects and how they cast shadows. So, you, you know, sometimes you'll see like the triangle here. Think of this as a mountain, the light shining here, it's casting a shadow on the face. Right. But then also there's a shadow here because this area, this is a plane. Not right? getting light on it. Right. So then it creates this little triangle. Hmm. Where the shadow's here, the shadow of the nose is here. Actually, I can do it with this. And okay, here we go. We've got, well, I've got light from above. Turn that off. So now I have only one light source. <laughs> light is coming here. My nose is casting a shadow, which is the height of my nose uh -huh. on my cheek. And then this side doesn't have any light. And as I move closer to it, more light is shining here, et cetera, et cetera. Now the highlights, whatever point is closest to the viewer, which in this case, my eyebrow here, my cheekbone, and then like the little peak of the nose, that's where your white goes. Like, you know, those little dots that make things look super shiny. Yeah. Only on things that actually reflect light like that, like eyes, is usually where most of the white is because it's wet and it's reflecting and skin will have like a light tone but not really white unless you know they're sweating and they've got water that bounces the light back but lips edge of the nose cheek eye right here whatever is closest to the viewer will have that highlight bouncing back at them so as i move it changes so now it's here because this is now closest to you does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it really does. So yeah, learning all of those kinds of things really help, especially if you're doing cell shaded things, just understanding like your shadows and your values. Um, you have to kind of think, okay, even though I'm drawing an apple and an apple is red or occasionally green, um, that color changes depending on the environment. So if you are in a, you know, it's a night sky, that that apple is going to look a little more purple than yeah. it does red. So just considering those things, sometimes I'll put down a background color and then start coloring things in on top of it to make sure that the palettes work. And I won't use the color at 100%. I'll use it at like 50% to make sure that the, the environment and the color that I'm using blends. Then I'll sample it and then make a color palette. Okay. Because if you start using colors at 50%, you're not going to get like a consistent color base huh. because you constantly have to like sample it and you're working in like half tone. So create your palettes and then I drop it so that when you do your fills, it'll be consistent every time. And I'll, I like to, if you're doing pages, uh, I like to color everything on the page that is the same color, like all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> the same. Same time. 
because it's right. all one environment, one scene, unless you know something else happens or right. But the alert goes off, and all of a sudden everything's going red and dale or something. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Somebody gets like hit in the face, and it's like, you know, bright lights, stars. Okay. Well, I first of all, thank you for that. That's incredible. That was really awesome. I felt like I, I, I do some of these interviews, and sometimes I feel like I'm in a master class just by talking to people. <laughs> well, you know, I, um, I, I like I said, I've had people who are very generous with their time and, and some of the things that they've learned. Even now, I have a lot of friends who, are, you know, they're helping me learn Clip Studio because. I draw in Adobe Illustrator and it's very time consuming and it doesn't have yeah. a lot of free flowing, like sketchy elements. And Photoshop is cool, but it's there's not a lot of control. I, think yeah. I can't do my finishes in Photoshop and I would like to know how to do the whole painterly concept art style thing, but I'm not proficient in it right now right. to do more than concept. Oh, I want to ask some other questions at this point. Uh, okay. I feel like I could just listen to you talk about this for the next few hours, but I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to take all your time either. So a uh, couple of things. First off, mm -hmm. I know you mentioned a bunch of artists that you've met in different things like that. What were some artists that inspire you? Ooh, okay. Um, I did mention Hiroaki Sumura, Blame the Immortal, um, Frizetta, Chris Pachalo, um, Claire Wendling, Travis Charest, um, who else? Mobius, definitely Mobius. Because uh, I was really into heavy metal when I was a kid, so I was super happy when I'd get anything with like Mobius, and it was like, oh, yes, go. The stuff, the stuff that you just stare at for hours and just go, but how did he do all of that in that corner? Yeah, just really, really the, the stippling, just the crazy. Ooh, man, fantastic. Um, I said uh, Juancho Gardino, the artist who drew Black Sad. Okay. Um, and Black Sad is that the one with the cats? Okay. Yes. Like the the watercolor hand painted. Oh gosh, freaking gorgeous. Um, who else? Trying to think, trying to think. Um, yeah, primarily those artists. I mean, there are artists now who who inspire me in modern day legends. Like I mentioned, Brian Stelfreeze and Olivier Coito. And um, I love Sarah Pacelli's work. I mean, she's freaking amazing. Um, and then some of my friends, uh, Nusha Gisemi and yeah, there, there's so many freaking amazing artists. I'm like, oh, why do I go on? It's because I have no choice. <laughs> You're stubborn. It's true. Yeah. That's why I you go on. No, I give myself no choice. Okay. So this episode is actually released, it's going to be released on Christmas Day. Okay. So you, your interview is a Christmas present to all those lovely people that you get the chance to talk to. Yeah. So I want to ask you a few holiday-related questions as we get ready okay. to wrap up. Uh, so first things first, uh, what has been a Flua's pull box? Oh, goodness. Um, what am I reading? 
Because these are things that I'm sure people could, people might be able to pick up for the holidays or after the holidays, depending on where they are. And they have a local comic book shop that's open and they can go ahead and grab them and things like that. You know. Um, I think Secret 7. I've heard great things about that series. It's I'm really gonna, good. I, I like missed it. it at the early parts. So I'm going to have to pick that up and trade. Yeah, yeah. So, Support it now if you can. Because um, I, I want it to keep going. Um, uh, I don't know if Magic Order is still going, but like I said, I've been having trouble getting past the first couple of issues because it's so pretty. Mm-hmm. I even picked up the trade. I was like, I'm going to read this eventually. um what else am i reading you know i guess because i've been working even up until uh two months ago on lovecraft country and a lot of shops have been closed i haven't been picking up quite as much these days um bitterroot of course any chance i can get and also excellence by carrie randolph um, any time the first volume of the trade. I think they just released his volume two. Yeah, cool. I really, I really, I love his work. He's a great guy. It's a really great book. It's beautiful, and uh, it's cool. I, I'm, I'm digging it. Um, what else am I reading? Um, I don't know. I've been studying a lot of scripts and things like that. I've been doing a lot of writing and so on. So I haven't really had the chance to read as many comics as I want. I've been rereading Lazarus. It's okay. a really, uh, it's actually a really cool book. It feels like a futuristic Walking Dead. Okay. You no know, zombies. Just a huh. Yeah, Lazarus has been pretty, pretty cool. I, I like it. Uh, there's something different about it. Um, so Greg Rucka is is pretty. He's a really great writer. I've I've been enjoying that quite a bit. Um, what else? Yeah, you mentioned Lazarus, and I thought of that Judas book that came out. I think it was Boom Studios that did the Judas book. It's really kind of interesting take on Judas and uh, the betrayal and, and 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 what happened after the betrayal. And so it's kind of that interesting. Kind of interesting idea. Oh. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it for now. I've been kind of getting into a lot of, you know, mermaid lore and yeah. research papers, marine biology, environmental sciences, and getting into some of the um, the occult, which just means hidden. I'm not like sacrificing any animals or anything like that. Yeah, the cats do enough of that. <laughs> Here, mommy, we brought your mouse. <laughs> mouse, I wish. Like snakes, half a rabbit. Oh, wow. They're murderers. They're fuzzy, cutesy, lovey-dovey murderers. <laughs> <laughs> like, three-foot-long snake? Yeah. Partially alive? I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll never starve in the apocalypse. Yeah. Oh goodness! <laughs> yeah, that yeah, that'll make you think at night. That's a certain. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. what was your favorite gift that you received as a kid for Christmas? Ah, uh, my first record player. Okay. With 
headphones and the box of 101 Crayola crayons that taught me periwinkle and turquoise were a thing. Wow. Okay. I dig that. <gasps> Ultramarine. <laughs> It's a soldier color. Oh, like I was just so excited. My dad is a retired uh, Coast Guard officer. And so I was okay. like, ultramarine. I just, I thought it was like describing this like Captain America type soldier. I was like, this is the color. I was, I, I had a really vivid imagination. That's a book idea, you know, like, like you see the crayons that's come out and each crayon is representative of their color. And right. so like, you know, Brown is just the chillest dude. He's just like, yeah, man, it's gonna be all right. And then you're like, Ultramarine's just like, all right, everybody, let's get all the boxes to this thing. He sounds like Ultimate Warrior. Like, oh yeah, everybody get ready. Well, that's macho. That's more macho, man. Oh, that's macho. Sorry. That's okay. Like, that's okay. Like, Ultimate Warrior, you couldn't understand half this stuff. He'd be like, right. This is true. Yeah, Macho Man. You know what was Macho Man on? <laughs> macho Man was on a whole other level. Always crazy. He ate too many coffee creamers and drank too much everything else. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, wrestling was my vibe when I was a kid. When I wasn't doing comics, it was wrestling primarily because I, I, I said in another part, in another episode, it would be like I would be like, okay, Saturday mornings would be literally cartoons, wrestling, then cowboy movies or kung fu flicks or both. Yes, it was like cartoons, kung fu flicks. That's when you knew you missed all the the cartoons. And then Soul Train. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was to do lot, this crazy there was a lot of Soul Train. <laughs> it was funny because everybody was like, oh my gosh, Soul Train was real good. Shamar Moore was awesome. I'm like, Shamar Moore, I grew up with Don Cornelius, man. <laughs> I think I was actually on Soul Train when Shamar Moore was the host. Which isn't bad. It's just fine. But it's just but like Don when Cornelius had the suits, man. He had the suits and like the voice. Is like, the I hip even... is tripping him. Don <laughs> Cornelius. Like, like he just poured train. butter on a microphone. <laughs> like, can I can I cuss on it? You can bleep this out if, if, if not. It's like, you can, you can say it. I'll bleep it out. That's fine. He's like, sit your ass down <laughs> and get ready for funks. Like, just, just get ready. Take a moment. Funk is about to happen. <laughs> it's like you like James Brown. You like James Brown. We got your James Brown here for you. Do you like right. your Parliament okay. Funkadelic? We got your Parliament Funkadelic for you. Okay. Also Teddy okay. Pendergrass. We got some Teddy Pendergrass for you. And then there's me. like Luther Vandross to <laughs> you know BB and CC one and to like. Well, oh man, who did that? Um. Bing, dee, bing, dee, bing. Now I have to look it up. God, I can remember nothing. Well, uh, I know he had Casey in the Sunshine Band. Oh, I remember man. he got into a little bit of trouble about that because everybody was like, oh, I Casey in the Sunshine Band on there because I like the music. Right. <laughs> yeah, why? Like, he liked what he liked. He was, it was like a lot, he was a live action DJ. He would bring on the bands that he enjoyed. 
you're gonna happen. What are you love? Some Aretha? Yeah, Warwick. I mean, he brought everybody on there. And he was really, if you think about it, I mean, he was really a platform for a lot of African-American uh, songwriters and stuff. Because you had American Bandstand, there weren't a whole lot of Black singers and stuff on American Bandstand. That's true. A, like, so, That's true. you know, you had to have somebody that came out and was just like, look, no, I want everybody on here, you know? Chic. That's who I'm thinking of. Okay. Okay, I play the bass and anyway. I'm not and good. I'm not good okay. That's okay. That's okay. You're better than me. Because I, <laughs> I can play my mouth. That's about it. That's the extent of my musical <laughs> I was a kid growing up. Back in the day, I remember listening to Fat Boys. And I always wanted to be like, well, I can't play musical instrument, but I can beatbox. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd always try to do the little thing that, that, that the human beatboxes do. Because that was like the thing. I used to beatbox. I'm not good anymore. That's okay. <laughs> And then you saw other people beatbox. It's, just, it's a lost art. It really is. Like beatboxing is really not a thing anymore. Like people don't do that. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. Oh. <laughs> All right. So you got a cool, awesome present when you were growing up. What's the coolest Christmas gift you've gotten as an adult? My honey just got me this um, pop figure, Ayanami Ray. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. It's awesome. <laughs> it's weird to think that, like, you know, you think about growing up and you're going, one of these days, they're going to take a chibi concept and make it a plastic toy in a box. It's not going to have a whole lot of. Yeah, it's not going to have a whole lot of mobility. People are just going to sit them on their countertops. You know, and but they're there. They're reality. <laughs> 86 pops later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I picked up last year, I picked up by uh, Pop, of course. Uh, I mean, well, I say last year, more like this year. Mm -hmm. I picked up a Pop of the Child for my niece. Because of the child. The child. Or Grogu now. Oh. Grogu. Grogu was a child. Baby Yoda to some people. So yeah. Baby Yoda, the child, Grogu. You know, and so she got it. I gave it to her for her birthday. She just said, oh, gosh, I have no idea where I'm going to put this, but I'm going to put it somewhere in my house. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, <laughs> that's kind of the point. Okay, right, hold on. Let me see. I think I have it. Not that one, but. Oh, wow. Cool. It was an that's early Christmas That's from Evangelion, right? Yeah. Okay. I was like, I heard the name. I was like, is that from Evangelion? One for sure. Yeah, I had like a two foot tall one. It was like the first figure that I'd ever gotten. And I must have been like 16 or 17 and I didn't have a lot of money. But every week I would go to this shop in Chinatown in New York and like slide my $20 across the table. Like, please hold this for me. And I would just keep <laughs> like any spare money that I had. I would come back and I'm like, 
I'm this many dollars away. And I right. took me so long. I think the thing was only $75, but you know, like I had yeah. $76 was how much money I made in the week. So every day I just took a little away and I just, yep. you know, I'd save up and then I'd go down there and then the place was going out of business. Oh no. And I had exactly $75, but I didn't have the tax. And I was like, oh, today's the last day you're going to be open. <laughs> oh, wow. They just gave it to me. I was just like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. <laughs> that allows a story right there. And so he, he got me a, a little, a little cheese. It's like, thanks. You know. <laughs> And so we've talked about cosplay before. Now you were that we hadn't talked about this yet, which I think is interesting. You when we when we were talking together at the con, you were doing a piece for a book that Michelle Nichols is a part of. Yes. So tell us a little bit about that, because I just I'm still amazed at the fact that like she was working on a picture of this person and Michelle Nichols was like a spirit guide. It was like. Um, writer Dedrin Sneed is uh, working on a book called Showroom and Spear. Uh, it's about a African gal who fights monsters. And she has a spirit guide who is based on Michelle Nichols. And he had the opportunity a few years ago to reach out to her. And when... Um, you know, first he just met her and and introduced himself and, and said, you know, he wanted to, he, he made a character and it was inspired by her. And so she saw it and he gave her the book. And then I think he got a call back and they said, well, you know, what, what is this about? You know, can we, can we do something with this? Can we make, can we be a part of this? And it's like, what? what? Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's been a part of this. And of course, you know, she's, she's older and so she's going through quite a bit of health issues and things like that so it's been uh, a little difficult yeah. but uh the book is still still going on and um yeah Dejan's a really cool guy he's he's getting into a lot of uh charity work and he wants yeah. to find ways to use the book as like an educational tool and help finance tech for people as fortunate or the homeless and just making things accessible to those because he understands that in order to move forward you you have to know how to use certain forms of technology you're just going to kind of be stuck right place and so these are some of his objectives with with showwoman sphere and some of the other projects that he's got going so uh i'm i'm happy to be a part of that it's he's a yeah. he's a good dude he lives here in georgia also so he's my buddy Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so what you're telling me is, if I want to get my craft better, I need to move to Georgia at some point and start hanging around some of these people that you're hanging around, <laughs> hanging around you and other folks, so I can get to get to learn by doing, but also learn by being in environments with people who are doing it too. For sure. I mean, I uh, I have a group on Facebook called Doctor Foo's Lab, and d-o-c-t-a-f-o-o and i um i have like a google hangout sessions 
where we share our screens and we talk from whatever location we're at and we just draw and we just talk and shoot the poops <laughs> so yeah. to speak and we just while we're drawing and we're looking at each other's screens and, and checking out what the other is working on we also you know share techniques or just just being around the environment of other artists really helps you move forward and get a lot of things done sometimes for me if i'm conceptualizing it's hard for me to be around other people because that takes kind of all of my brain power yeah well, you know i'll have something playing or like a, a show or something going but i can't talk i have to i have to look and you know, start pulling all these things together. But if I already know what it is I'm going to draw and I'm moving from my sketch phase to my finals or coloring or something like that, inking, then I can totally talk all day and multitask. Okay. So when I'm, in, when I'm you know, working on projects and I'm past the concept phase, then I usually hop on uh, a chat and say, okay, I'm hanging out. If anybody wants to doodle, what have you. I need to get into one of those. I'm a part of the group. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm part of the group already, but I haven't really been able to get in and act as much. I think I posted one of my pictures of Santa Claus that I was doing oh, for cool. a project. Thank you for uh, posting. I did, um, I've been working on another book I wanted to do. I want my draw time is weird because what I, the way I work with a lot of my books is I draw all my stuff out and then I write what I'm going to write. <laughs> That's fine. Whatever your process is. Hey, however and it gets so, There's no right way. Other than I wanted that. to come up with a, I wanted to do like a story where Santa Claus is in the, it kind of in the workshop after the holidays and he's kind of going through stuff. And of course he gets another mission, which is funny because I was telling somebody about that one day and they were like, Oh, you mean like Fat Man that has no Gibson in it? I'm like, no, I put a book out like two years before Fat Man was put out, okay? And my version of Santa is a lot cleaner than cleaner than Mel Gibson's version where he's running around, you know, you think you're the first guy to try to kill me? I'm like, wait, no, 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 no. Like, my Santa Claus is a spy. He ain't trying to kill people. Like, no. <laughs> get in, get out, and don't be seen. That's his point. Exactly, yeah. Kind of a mix between Santa, a spy and a ninja. Like, <laughs> <laughs> If I have to, if he has to fight, he has to fight, but it's not like he's looking for one. Right, right. You know, That's so no, I'm not trying to write a kid's version of Fat Man. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. I still want to see that movie. I just, there's, there's something about the idea of Santa Claus having a, a kid that gets mad because he gets a lump of coal and decides he's going to hire an assassin to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> it's Santa versus a, 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 a guy who's been hired to kill him in a gunfight in the middle of the North Pole. Like, <laughs> you some, and I mean, like, no yeah, rocket launchers. I don't know, something. Yeah, good. I, I can see it. I would not be surprised. Like, all you needed was Danny Glover showing up at one point. Just like, I'm too old for this. I'm out. <laughs> I go stay around. Why am I even here, Mel? <laughs> when I do another lethal weapon, why am I even here? <laughs> but anyway, um, so thank you so much for being willing to come on. Uh, before we totally wrap this thing up, where can people find you in the land of social medias? Uh, where can people find your awesome work? Things like that they can get a hold of. Where can people find the Kickstarter that they can go back? Awesome. Do it all Oh, you can find my work on my website, afuarichardson.com. That's A, F as in Frank, U, A, Richardson, 
gmail.com. I'm on Instagram as Dr. Foo, D-O-C-T-A-F-O-O. Um, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter under my name, Afua Richardson. Also, the Kickstarter that I've got going is for Aquarius, the Book of Myrrh. And that is live now on Kickstarter. How many days we look at that? Uh, it wraps up January 8th. So we got a little little bit of time. A little bit of time. So go back to that. Uh, I can say from my end that at some point I hope to be back in it because it's some of the most beautiful artwork I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and uh, and I know with her research and everything, the story is going to be on point. I'm not worried about the story. <laughs> I um, got, a, got a lot of good friends looking it over for me. I'm like, tell me if this is awful. Please, please. It's okay. <laughs> okay you're not gonna hurt my feelings what will hurt my feelings more is if i embarrass myself and put out the first book that i'm writing illustrating and making an album for and it's horrible i don't don't worry about my ego just let me know if this is good yeah so you're writing an album you said you're writing an album for this as well so you're doing music so because i know we were wrapping up and i was just like oh i forgot you was doing music for this too uh, yeah, part of the story will be told in music. Sometimes um, there will be music that kind of goes along with a scene and you'll know by like a little embedded QR code and, or I might figure out something else uh, that's a little less, you know, uh, <laughs> intrusive. There'll be a guide in the midst of a book somewhere that'll say on page three, panel two, right? they song here. Right. Like you'll know it's time to turn the page when now, but uh, yeah, like I'm going to see if I can find the best way to do this, but I'm also going to have an audio book where there's music playing, but part of the story in some spaces will have no dialogue at all. And you'll have to hear it through the song. Uh, and in some cases, um, the music will be telling you another part of the story that the narration or the dialogue or the the action in the panels isn't telling you so it, it's almost like a an audible character uh, of the story and i'm working with my friend mike smith and paul ritchie and they're they're primarily um, helping me produce and and mike's helping me write the songs and he's writing the guitar parts and i'm writing to that i'm doing the vocals and i'm gonna be playing my flute and beatboxing doing all kinds of Arrange. You got some other stellar artists that are going to be working on this as well with you, correct? Yes. Daryl from Run DMC, uh, John Ferrara, who is an incredible bass player. I've I've not seen anybody play bass like that outside of you know Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I mean, he's freaking amazing. And um, uh, Caio Ferraris, who's an Argentinian guitarist. Man, I'm just I'm super lucky to have such great friends and associates and help me with just something that I've been wanting to make for a really long time. And so this is going to dig into history and magic and um, the occult and mysteries and just merfolks and kappas and selkies and sirens and some of the creepy creatures, like as we get the, you know, like, Everybody wants their mermaids. ladies that will yeah. you to, you know, your watery grave. But then there's some that are helpful. There's some that are ugly. There's some that are liars. There's some that are like turtle fart stealing 
martial artist. You know, they're just, <laughs> there are a lot of really weird types yeah. of lore and different kinds of stories. And I've been meeting people who are from the places that I'm writing about. So it's been fun kind of getting a, a scope and a feel for the land and, and also um, sort of taking some of the experiences that I've gone through or my family has gone through and putting them in a fictional narrative and uh, as much as music as a part of my life, I wanted it to also be a part of my art. So cool. I'm really pouring my heart on the page, y'all. Put my foot in it. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. Uh, so this has been awesome. I mean, like I said, I could talk to you for hours. I feel like you, there's a lot going on in your world, and it's just <laughs> it's like cool. To, it's cool to be a student of it and just be like, okay, here's my pen, here's my paper. You can start writing <laughs> stuff down. Um, but I want to say thank you again for coming on to the podcast and everything. I greatly appreciate you. Like I said, taking a little bit of time. I know time is precious. Come on. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. I'm actually, after we get off this podcast, I am going back to work. Okay. Well, I'm going to let you get back to it. So ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children, all ladies, thank you so much for rocking with us with another fun, filled, action-packed, power-packed, mythological uh, episode of Conversations About Dot, Dot, Dot. My name is Will. I've been had the honor and privilege to speak to Afua Richardson. Uh, go to her social media, check her out. Go back to Kickstarter, man. I'm telling you, it's going to be an awesome experience for you when you do. Um, I mean, you're getting a music soundtrack, audio book potentially, uh, art scenes, which I'm still trying to figure out how to get some of the older art scenes that she's done. But that's a whole other issue. Uh, well, I'm going to actually put issue one's art scene as a perk in there also since it's sold out in okay. a lot of stuff. Okay. So it'll be available there too. And also on the Kickstarter, David Mack is doing an exclusive cover that you can only get through the Kickstarter. So I'm only going to be making as many as is ordered through the Kickstarter. Yeah. So that is the only place you will get it. Yep. Okay. Um, I'm also going to be doing some retailer variants. So if you're a retailer out there, uh, I'm working all of that out now. And if you have an artist that you have in mind, uh, we can talk about it. Okay. And yeah, I have uh, Nisha Gassemi, who's freaking amazing, um, working on one for a retailer and uh, Ellie Maple Fox for another and potentially Yuko Smith. You know, so uh, I'm trying to give you all the things, all the things. All right. And we'll 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 get all the things as best we can. So uh, thank you guys so much for rocking with us on this episode. Go follow Afua. Go get her stuff. Uh, you will not be disappointed if you do. Um, so above all else, guys, it's Christmas Day. So do me mm -hmm. one very important favor. Be blessed. Be a blessing to somebody, guys. Take care. We wish you Merry Christmas. We wish you Merry Christmas. We wish you Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.